and welcome back to the Canadian Space Society podcast, Space A. I'm your host, Mahima Kapoor, and today we're chatting with a guest we've actually had on before in season one of our podcast, if you've been following us since then. We had Mariam Nassim on. Um, she was on before in her capacity when she worked with the Space Generation Advisory Council, but today we're chatting with her in a new light, and I've got some questions for her because she's had a very interesting career path since. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, Nassim, why don't you tell us a little bit about this new phase in your space career? So over the last two years, you've worked at four or five different space agencies, nonprofits, institutions. So how has those experiences shaped the way that you want to contribute to space? And tell us a little bit about what those experiences were as well. Yeah, thanks, Mahima. Um, it's really great to be back to chat with you. I appreciate um, you know the opportunity to connect and to share my journey. Um, so as you said, um, we last spoke when I was working with SGAC. Since then, I've had the opportunity to explore my interest in policy a little bit more with um, the Open Lunar Foundation. So looking at lunar communications and the future of sustainable lunar exploration. So that's been a really great opportunity as part of their research fellowship program. Uh, I also have been working with the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science um, on a part-time basis on science communication around astrobiology. So we have this amazing show called Ask an Astrobiologist, and I help out as one of the production assistants. We bring on these really amazing scientists looking at different aspects within the field and they come on to share their experiences with the next generation. And uh, most recently in the last year, I started working at the Canadian Space Agency as well. And this was um, basically to help with business development. So industry relations is the sub team I'm in within the policy directorate. And it's been a really great learning experience for me. But as we connect, you find me in a time of transition again, because I just um, next week is actually, actually going to be my last week at the CSA. And then I'm going to be moving on to another opportunity where I'll be looking at um, exploring some of the research I've been doing with a mentor at Goddard in a more formal capacity. And I think all these experiences, it's been a journey of exploration, to be honest. It's not like anything was super planned or I knew going in, this is exactly what I want to do. A lot of it has just been following my interests and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to explore those more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great segue into my next question because I think your path has been very interesting. Like you said, it was more exploratory and of course you had the opportunities, the mentorship to be able to do that. But as someone who isn't traditionally from a space background, so you've got an engineering degree, then you pivoted into business a little bit and management. So I'd be curious to know, someone who isn't traditionally from a space background, how did you find your learning curve regarding space topics? Because you went, you know, deep into research as well, which we'll get into in, mm -hmm. in a second. But how did you find that learning curve with regard to some of the technical aspects of space? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. It's the same with anything. I think I've been quite fortunate to have done that engineering degree. I think it provided a pretty solid analytical foundation, to be honest. But then I think being trained in any technical field, it's how you think. Like you learn how to think and you learn how to problem solve and that can then be translated to many different areas. I also think a lot of credit goes to the business degree <laughs> because that helped open a lot of doors on the policy and commercial side of space. So again, some of that basic training around how to think, think about strategies, how to think about different markets and different business development initiatives translated into some of the work I did with a boutique consulting firm um, and then now with the CSA. So it, it's quite amazing, actually, the different skills you pick up along the way. You don't 
even know where that might be applied in the future. But there is a learning curve. I think this happens with everyone in any job. Like anytime I, I join a new organization or a new role, the first couple of months are hard. Like you are learning a lot. You are sort of relying on your mentor or your supervisor to provide a little bit of guidance. Um, I've, I've found that most of the guidance and support needed isn't even around the technical aspects of the work. Most of the time it's around organizational processes and procedures and the way things are done in organizations. I think it's really important to have um, a, a good conversation in that first week of joining around expectations, how things work and what you are expected to do. And I think that really sets a, a very good template for the work ahead that's carried out in these different roles. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would make a huge difference is the, is the people that you're working with, because I imagine these are very complex projects that you guys are working on and they could probably be very long research projects as well. So I think having those relationships, I can imagine being a really good game changer. So that's awesome to hear that you had that. So tell me a little about what was your most eye-opening experience? So you did a research project at Goddard, as you mentioned, uh, looking at salt distribution in icy shells of ocean worlds, which sounds fascinating just based on the title. Uh, but tell me a little about that project. And then tell me a little bit about what was the most eye-opening experience maybe over the last two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was in an informal capacity initially with a mentor um, that I connected with at Goddard. I had listened to one of his research presentations around the topic of icy ocean worlds, which is something I'm very interested in. And he was, you know, kind enough to offer me this opportunity to collaborate with him on research. And that was the thing actually where I had the, the biggest learning curve because I'm not a scientist by training. Um, it was completely new to me. I, I, I have to confess like modeling and running simulations, programming wasn't something that was a strength for me, even during engineering. It wasn't something that I felt came naturally to me, but it was interesting to see that given that the research question was compelling enough, like I was motivated to learn new tools and ways of analysis. And again, um, my mentor was quite, you know, supportive in terms of like, here's a little piece of code you can run and try out. Um, and we kind of took it step by step. So I, I really appreciate his patience. Um, also, I was doing this outside of my full time work on weekends and evenings. So it was it was quite a lot. But I think I was really propelled by an interest around these questions. Um, because I had joined the space sector, but I think a lot of the stuff I've been doing is trying to figure out my role, like where do I want to contribute? And I realized that these philosophical questions around the search for life um, in our solar system was something that was motivating enough to me that I could potentially, you know, dedicate a big chunk of my career to that. And that's how I got involved in that research and was motivated to help with that. And it definitely, for me, the eye-opening aspect is the question is a big one, like, is there life in the solar system, perhaps some kind of microbial life? On these ocean worlds, we think under, you know, kilometers of ice, they, there's liquid water. What could be in that water? Um, but I think the more interesting question is, say we, we find some kind of life in the solar system or even some intelligent life, like beyond our solar system from some exoplanet. Um, what does that mean for us as humans? Because right now it's just like everything is centering around our life on earth and we think we're sort of like you know the center of the universe but i i think it will just put humanity as a class of like species in, in good perspective and i i almost think it's a it's a very very worthy question to be conducting research in and thinking about so i think as i explore this in a scientific capacity i'm also very interested in the social and philosophical aspects around this so that 
in itself, the field of astrobiology has been pretty eye-opening for me. Yeah, that would be very eye-opening, I'd imagine. And I think to be able to contribute in a very small capacity to something so grand must yeah. feel very fulfilling in and of itself. And, you know, you might not be even making a dent really in everything that we could possibly know, but it's still mm -hmm. cool to, to have your name associated with something like that. So that's really commendable and fascinating. Because you've had these varied experiences, and like you said, you're interested in different tenets. Tell me a little bit about and I think you're the perfect person to ask this actually, is where do you see different fields in the space sector coming together? So research and innovation that you've been part of a little bit, uh, policymaking and space communications, which is more public facing. How do you see these three aspects, sort of R&D policy and comms coming together and really making a, a good, solid you know, foundation for the space industry moving forward? I think that's a really wonderful question because I think work in the space sector, and I think in any sector, to be honest, it can't be done in isolation anymore. You can't just have like your little blinders on and just be doing R&D. Like I think good scientists understand the implications of their work in the public domain. And I think that's a lot of how science communication came into being because you could be in your lab doing research all day, all night, but communicating the importance of those results to the public and then to policymakers because it's a feedback loop then the policymakers end up funding the research you do at the end of the day right so it's so important to be able to understand these interconnections and i think it again it wasn't really planned it wasn't like I'm, i i went in thinking oh i'm going to do this and this and this and learn all these things but it kind mm -hmm. of happened and i think it really helped me provide it, it gives me a bigger picture of how things sort of fit in Another interesting example is recently um, in the U.S., they had the Planetary Science Decadal Survey, which sort of sets the tone for the next decade of um, planetary science exploration and missions. Uh, and this is actually spearheaded by um, scientists. So the Nationally, National Academy of Sciences um, in the U.S., like they bring on a panel of like expert scientists to come together. And it's a long government space missions. They're funded by taxpayers. There's a contribution at the end of the day happening behind the scenes to make these things a reality. So it's really important to convey the benefits to society of space exploration and not just, you know, the, the stuff we hear about, oh, spin off, spin and all of that, but also why are these missions happening? What does it mean? Um, or even other initiatives, right? Like how is this, it, it may be space, it may be other aspects of technology generated from space or even other just broader mm -hmm. topics in general, but there's always that communication sort of link that needs to be established and that yeah absolutely and it seems like it's really just this interconnected network of information that is you know going to be really really useful to us in any domain uh so that's kind of cool and space is the future so it's cool to think about all of the different things that could be impacted like you you mentioned some like sustainability and even just policies in other domains or new inventions that happen that could be used on earth and things like that i've seen a lot happen with like you know med tech as well so mm. yeah it's very interesting to think about um so yeah that was all my questions for you today mary i'm short and sweet and you're a very busy person so i'm grateful for getting a little bit of time with you to chat just about what you've been up to and it's nice to do a quick follow-up and you know just remind people that you're out there if people want to reach out with questions um or if they're interested more in your career path and they can just you know reach out to you with that awesome thank you so much for for your kind words and yeah it's always great to have you here and you know in the future as well if there's ever something that you know you want to come and chat about we're 
more than happy to do a third episode and just keep bringing you back because, uh, yeah, it's it's really great to hear about all of the different things that the space sector, especially the Canadian space sector, is currently working on. So, yeah, thanks again, Miriam, for being here. Stay tuned for uh, more exciting episodes from the Canadian Space Society. Bye.